Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. Hello. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley, and Chris, it is game week. Game week. It's finally here. Let's go. The Sun Devil's taking on Northern Arizona. The preseason, all of training camp has come and gone, and we could not be happier. We are thrilled. I, I saw all the game week tweets. Watched a little bit of that Cal Hawaii game, which is quality football. Wasn't very good. <laughs> I, I really actually enjoy watching some of the high school games this weekend more than that, uh, to be honest with you. But we're ready for ASU football this week. Uh, excited to be talking about the depth chart and some other. Uh, uh, components of what goes into the team this year on the podcast. So what we want to do today is basically give you a season preview of what to expect from the different position groups at ASU, what to expect in this season opening contest against Northern Arizona. Last week we covered the depth chart, so you're familiar with that. This week we're going to talk about the expectations for the players that we talked about last week, what they can accomplish on the field this season, what they can bring ASU as the Sun Devils try to recover from a 6-7 and seven finish last year. Year five of the Todd Graham era is set to start. And Chris, for the first time since year one, there was a quarterback competition and really it's wrapped up right now. The Sun Devils, as of this taping, haven't announced that Manny Wilkins is the starting quarterback, but we fully expect him to take the first snaps on Saturday night. Unless Todd Graham and the rest of the ASU program is trolling the media (laughs) more than I've ever seen uh, in my career covering the program, we're going to see Manny Wilkins out there to start the season, I think uh, in, in the last couple weeks from what we've heard and even from what we've seen in the limited glimpses, Wilkins uh, clearly was the, the guy that uh, beat out uh, the other candidates for the, the quarterback spot. And very interested to see how he's going to do, given that he's relatively blank slate, hasn't thrown a, a pass at this level uh, in his career to this point. What do you think are some of the strengths of Manny Wilkins' game as a quarterback? What does he bring to this offense that's different from Taylor Kelly, different from Mike Bercovici? Well, he's a, he's a good athlete, uh, very quick. I think uh, we knew how he was going to fit the Mike Norvell system in that regard because he could do a lot of the things that Taylor Kelly could do from a zone read, pull it standpoint. But I think he has a better arm than Taylor Kelly. The question is accuracy. Is he going to be able to go through progressions and uh, operate at the, the, the pace uh, on a on an in-play uh, situation that they, that they want him to? Uh, the whole key is going to be avoiding turnovers, avoiding negative plays, operating without any kind of procedural penalties, making sure that you're making good decisions. As long as he's doing those things, the coaches are probably going to be happy, even if he's not someone who finds his third receiver down the field uh, for a touchdown. Now, last week, at the end of the week, we saw something interesting with Arizona State and its quarterback group. Dylan Sterling Cole had been all set to run the scout team this year, but the Sun Devils moved wide receiver freshman Jack Smith to the quarterback group to really engineer the scout team this season, and that's to make sure that Sterling Cole is running Arizona State's offense because as a scout team quarterback, you're learning what the opponents are doing. You're not practicing in ASU's system. So in that light, we know that Brady White and Dylan Sterling Cole will be behind Manny Wilkins at least the start of the season how many quarterbacks do you expect to play this year for ASU at least meaningful minutes beyond the NAU game because I think we can both agree there is the possibility that ASU trots Brady White out for some meaningful series against NAU so hard to predict this and it's going to come down to whether Manny Wilkins is successful or not early on in the season I think the odds are that they end up playing just Wilkins a majority of the reps unless things uh, go poorly Uh, I think Given that NAU should be a good opportunity for ASU to put a lot of points on the board, Texas Tech is a game that could be a shootout. 
they may not feel like their quarterback is limiting them uh, in Wilkins. And, and I think it's a good opportunity for him to start the season strong. Uh, it makes a lot of sense as your number three quarterback with the injury to Bryce Perkins to have uh, Dylan Sterling Cole learning and developing. Uh, I certainly believe he's going to redshirt. I agree as well. I, th- I think that Wilkins will get the lion's share of the reps. Taylor Kelly was named the starter for one week in 2012, but he performed so well against NAU that Todd Graham didn't reveal until after the season. It was just a one-week designation. I think Manny Wilkins is going to have a little longer leash here, even though fans really didn't know that Taylor Kelly's leash was that short. But moving on to the running backs group, the quarterbacks, there's so many question marks. The running backs we feel pretty solid about, and really every fan should feel solid about this position group for ASU because the Sun Devils do have juniors Demario Richard and Kalen Balaj returning. They've got Nick Ralston in the number three running back role. Jason Lewis, a four-star prospect who hasn't quite put it together just yet, is working with the scout team right now. Chris, what do you expect the running backs to be able to accomplish in this Chip Lindsey scheme? Well, this is the strength of the ASU offense, especially when you're talking about from an athletic standpoint. Uh, Kalen Balaj, even though he's not the number one running back, is is you know, as we talked about, the fastest guy probably on the the roster at uh, 230 pounds or so. Demario Richards, a returning thousand yard rusher. There hasn't been a back to back thousand yard rusher uh, since Woody Green did it uh, three years in a row in the early 1970s. So that that puts some perspective on what the potential is for Demario Richard this year. If he has another big season, he feels like he's been slept on. There's uh, some mention of California King uh, as <laughs> as his uh, new nickname, uh, supplanting the face of. Cali, a lot of California references on him. I, I think Nick Ralston is a guy who has a chance to be quite a, quite a player if he gets uh, the reps. Uh, he's cut a lot of weight. He looks more athletic, and uh, it's going to be hard as that number three guy. But this is, uh, again, a absolute strength of ASU's offense, and they're going to have to rely on this group in light of having uh, a new quarterback and a young offensive line. Really, I think the only thing that may hold Demario Richard back from a second consecutive 1,000-yard season is that Kalen Balazs is fully healthy at the beginning of the season for the first time. He had mononucleosis at the start of last year, wasn't completely healthy at the start of his freshman campaign, and Balazs could dip into those carries because let's say both of these players are around the same number of carries. We do expect Balazs to maybe fall in a little bit behind Richard in that regard, but Richard would need 200 carries at five yards a carry to get to a thousand yard season. Five yards a carry, what he was close to averaging last year, I think it ended up being 5.3 yards per carry. So last season, Demario Richard just barely eclipsed the the 200 carries mark, and he spent the majority of the season as the primary back. Yeah, so the question then becomes, how many offensive reps are they going to get this year? How much of it is going to be a run-pass split? Uh, If they're playing behind games, that means you're going to have to throw the ball more. This team isn't going to probably be in big leads a lot of the time in Pac-12 games. So I think that's a factor that you have to consider. And I do believe that you're going to see a a, a pretty balanced split. And then also you have to consider that in this Chip Lindsey offense, you're going to see the ball thrown a lot to these backs. So they're going to get uh, a huge amount of opportunities to have the ball in their hands. I think it's much more likely that Demario Richard has 1,500 total yards from scrimmage than becoming another 1,000-yard back. But I do think it's a possibility. Let's move on now to the wide receiver group for ASU and some interesting notes over the 
course of the past few weeks is Nikhil Harry has kind of passed Ellis Jefferson on the depth chart at the X receiver. Very few players, I believe it's eight total, have started their first game as a true freshman at ASU, and Harry appears in line to do that right now. Cameron Smith is finally back, seems more healthy over the past few weeks, was out all of last season with an injury. He could start at the Z spot, and then we know Tim White will start in the slot. We haven't seen anybody really even sniff this type of an opportunity as a true freshman at ASU. Uh, I think you have to go back to Derek Hagan, Sean McDonald, those types of impact players uh, at the wide receiver position earlier in their career to uh, reflect what's possible with Nikhil Harry. I don't know whether he'll start or not in this opener, but certainly he's going to play a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to increase the forecast. to some degree for what he's going to do this year. And even though that's the case, I still don't think he's going to end up with the first or second most catches uh, among the wide receivers. I think you have to look at Tim White and Cam Smith, just given what they've already done in their careers and and the upward trajectory. uh, Those guys are going to be heavily relied upon. So let's talk about where you think the receivers could fall in line in terms of their total receptions this season. Guys that will factor in. We know Nikhil Smith, or Nikhil Harry, Cam Smith, Ellis Jefferson, Tim White, Jalen Harvey, and maybe Fred Gamage, Kyle Williams get a few looks as well. Who are, you, who are the top three receivers you think finish in terms of receptions on this roster? Well, I think you have five real candidates. Uh, you have uh, Tim White, Cam Smith, Nikhil Harry, Ellis Jefferson, and then uh, Jalen Harvey. Uh, Jalen Harvey and Camp Smith were uh, trading that first team opportunity uh, in camp at the position opposite of Ellis Jefferson and Nikhil Harry. That competitive depth at those two spots has, I think, boosted uh, the play, both of those places. I think you have to uh, have Tim White, certainly number one, especially given how uh, the Chip Lindsey offense will target that slot position. And he had 58 or so catches last year. I would look for him to potentially have 65, 70 catches catches even I would say that's a conservative estimate yeah too. I mean that's and that's if the other players are doing well enough that they don't have to rely as heavily on him I would say probably Camp Smith I would guess is is the second most uh, receptions I would say he has more than 50 maybe 60 catches it would be reasonable and, and keep in mind that he's a bigger play guy so when so if he has 60 catches he's putting up a, a huge season probably over a thousand yards and then uh, number three is really close that's where you have a uh, very fine line at the margin between Jalen Harvey, Nikhil Harry, and Alice Jefferson. If I had to make a guess, I would probably say Nikhil Harry, but I, but my 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 number four guy there would probably be Jalen Harvey. I agree. I, I think you could go either way with Jalen Harvey or Nikhil Harry right now. I think that over the course of the season, if Nikhil Harry has already done enough in one month to pass Ellis Jefferson on the depth chart. I think over the rest of the season, it'll really bear itself out that Nikhil Harry will eventually pass him up and take even more of the share of the reps. But Jalen Harvey really does bring so much to this team. And I think he could end up seeing more playing time just because of his skills as a, as a blocker, as a wide receiver. And ASU needs that if it's going to be running the ball. Yeah, and one thing on Jalen Harvey is you could see, because of his versatility, he could slide in and place them in the slot. You could kick mm-hmm. out Tim White. There's things that you could do with those guys on the field that make a lot of sense. Whereas with Alice Jefferson or Nikhil Harry, you're going to see them primarily at that X position. So let's move on to the tight end group for ASU. The goal in the offseason was to become more physical. And led by senior Cody Cole, the Sun Devils appear to have done that. 
Absolutely. Uh, look at what this uh, position was when Todd Graham took over at ASU in 2012. The previous regime didn't even use uh, the tight end position. And so they were basically starting from scratch. They were lucky that they had Chris Coyle as a, as a holdover player that first 2012 year. But from a recruiting standpoint, they had to basically rebuild the whole pipeline. And what you're seeing now is they're finally at a place where they're, where they're much more functional in that regard. You could put two guys out there on the field who have experience. Raymond Epps has developed quite a bit over the last year. Cody Cole, even though he hasn't played to his own expectations or the expectations of fans, is the leading returning pass catcher among tight ends in the Pac-12. And he's added 20 pounds because he wants to be a more dominant blocker. I think he's going to have his best season. Epps has uh, what we believe to be a broken uh, finger or maybe a bone in his hand because he's been wearing a cast out there. That could be limiting. I think um, even though we may not see it at the outset of the season, you have in J.J. Wilson, a second-year player who is as talented or even more so than anybody else on the roster. And then Tommy Hudson's a versatile piece at about 255 or so pounds, six foot five. He's long. He's a full-service type of a guy that's emerging as well as a retro freshman. So really one of the interesting dynamics of this tight end group uh, came out last week when ASU introduced its scout team unit. And the Sun Devils only had two tight ends in offensive maroon jerseys in Cody Cole and Raymond Epps. Both Hudson and J.J. Wilson started in the Gold Scout team jerseys at the outset of the week. And that was interesting because at the beginning of camp, the Sun Devils have been running 12 personnel sets. That's two tight ends, one back. So, Chris... Will Tommy Hudson or J.J. Wilson allow ASU to continue to run those sets? Because you really do need a third tight end to provide depth in that regard. It always makes you think about, is there a disciplinary issue? When you look at J.J. Wilson at the beginning of camp, he wasn't even practicing. Uh, We had heard that was due to some academic-related issues that he had to take care of in summer school, and then he was back out there. Uh, He's a guy that... Uh, even in high school, uh, had some background things that were pointed at and maybe kept some other schools from recruiting him. So for for, for Wilson, the whole key is being uh, having a, a straight and narrow type of a focus and approach to football because the, his talent is through the roof. And I, I do think that he's going to get out there and make plays. Uh, he's more of a dynamic, well-rounded uh, weapon there than you have in Tommy Hudson. But I, I think uh, you're probably going to need four tight ends to play this season. So I think think both of those guys are going to be out there. Running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends appear to be the strengths of this offense at the outset of the season. Already talked about the quarterbacks. Let's get to the group that really could determine the overall success of Chip Lindsey's offense in his first year as a coordinator, and that's the offensive line. Evan Goodman, the only returning starter, left tackle for ASU's unit, but there are some players with experience. Sam Jones, we expect him to have a strong season as the left guard. Stephon McCray has been a depth option for ASU. He's running at center and a little bit of guard right now. So what does this unit look like? What can we expect in week one, and how can we expect this unit to develop over the course of the season? Well, I really like the youth and the athletic talent at the size of this group. And we talked in the past on Sun Devil Source about uh, the f- two freshman players that came in last year in Zach Robertson and Steve Miller being the best physically looking uh, pair of guys that we've seen at ASU for freshmen. Uh, Zach Robertson's going to be a starter this year as a retro freshman, likely at that right tackle position. I think that's going to be really important to watch how he handles speed mm-hmm. on the edge. They looked at Quinn Bailey there, Zach Robertson. They flip-flopped him between right tackle and right guard. Uh, so, so the right side of the line is a little bit more uncertain. And then center's kind of still a little bit in flux. You have A.J. McCollum, who had hamstring problems and wasn't practicing earlier in camp, didn't 
didn't make it in for the spring. He's kind of pushing Stefan McRae. So what you have really is uh, the number five guy is close between Quinn Bailey, A.J. McCollum. If McCollum starts at center, then you would slide Stefan McRae over to right guard. If, on the left side of the line, that's very solidified. You have Evan Goodman, who's a senior starter, the only returning starter uh, for ASU. And Sam Jones is a sophomore who played as a fill-in guy, guard and tackle, primarily tackle last season. I think his future is relatively bright, but uh, overall, this is an extremely inexperienced uh, offensive line carry, one of the most inexperienced in the country. Yeah, the fifth fewest starts of any school in the country in terms of the offensive linemen on the roster. ASU has 15. What potential issues does that create, and are there potential things to be gained from having such little in such little experience on the offensive line? Well, there's an aggravating component to this, and that is that you also have a new offensive coordinator. You also have a new quarterback. That's a lot to coalesce and get every, everything together and on the same page. Uh, and, and so I think you're going to have some questions about that early on. Are there going to be procedural issues? Are guys going to get lined up properly? Do they uh, understand how to work together functionally? I mean, you have a lot of plays in this offense where you have to have combination blocks on guys before you climb up to that second level. Are these guys going to be able to work and sync and do that? Are they going to be able to handle pass rushes on the edge? What about linebacker pops and stunts? All these things are going to really test them in a way that we probably haven't seen at ASU uh, in recent years. But again, you have to go back to the fact that these are long, big-bodied athletic kids and there's an opportunity for them to be successful. Chris Thompson told his players about Clemson last year when they had four uh, returning starter, four newcomers who were starting, and then they lost their only returning starter uh, as a left tackle, and they played a freshman, and they go to the national championship game. It's because those guys were athletic, and they were young and healthy, and they had uh, uh, a lot of fire and, and, and effort. They were just fresh guys, and maybe they didn't even realize that they shouldn't be performing at, the, at that level, but they were able to. So is that going to be a capability of ASU this year? It's an uncertainty, and, and that's one of those things that you're just going to have to kind of see unfold. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the potential procedural issues that ASU may come into contact with over the course of the season. Todd Graham did say on Saturday after practice that yes, there have been more penalties for ASU's offense this season. And really, we should come to expect that because Sun Devil fans have gotten used to in the Todd Graham era of ASU being on par with really only the service academies. And that's a remarkable difference from the Dennis Erickson era. We can talk about it all we want, but really the statistic is the best way to describe how ASU has really reformed on the offensive side of the ball, changed its way, and really kept in line with the armies, the navies, and the air forces of the world. And that's really enabled a lot of offensive success for the Sun Devils. One last note on the offensive line, Chris. I, w- I want to ask you, because there is such little inexperience, but you've talked about the potential of these players, the Zach Robertsons, the Quim Baileys, the frames that they bring to the table. Are there any first or second team all Pac-12 candidates who could break out over the course of the season? I don't think so. Uh, the only really good candidate would be Evan Goodman, and that's if the light just stops flickering and comes on as bright as can be. Sean Griswold, the ASU strength coach, told us that he thinks that Goodman's poised for a great season. And talking about the procedural problems, he probably had as many false starts as anybody or maybe even the whole group combined last year. So he's going to have to make a big stride, but from an athletic standpoint, he has the capability. It's just so hard because the Pac-12 typically has some really good offensive tackles. If I were to pick a dark horse, I'd say maybe Sam Jones could contend for a second team spot. But Down the line, I think he yeah. will. 
I still so much to be seen from this offensive line, so it's tough to make that prediction. Now, before we move to the defensive side of the ball, here on the Sun Devil Source Report podcast, this is our free podcast. We want to highlight the premium podcast that we do offer to our subscribers at Sun Devil Source. And on our premium podcast this week, Chris, we'll be doing this exact overview of the position groups and the expectations, but really go into much more depth. We'll be giving exclusive grades on all the players we expect to play this season, a ranking of the order of the strength of the position groups, season previews that go much more in depth on each position group. There's really so much to be gained from being a subscriber to Sun Devil Source. This is just such a small sliver of what we do on the website. Um, it's just a fraction. It, um, we have grades for every single individual player, all the player groups. Our season preview would take you hours and hours just to read everything that we put out. Uh, if you want to take what we're talking about here and dramatically expand upon that in a way that uh, informs your knowledge about ASU football, you got to go on the site. And not only is it a content, but it's the community. We mm-hmm. are the king of our, of ASU's community. We have the largest fan base. We have the most number of premium members, the most active message board. We had a, a thread that just in the last week that hit 100,000 views on, this, on the stage. Stadium. That's this is the home of ASU athletics for fans to engage and interact with everybody else. And we provide all this content plus the recruiting side. For instance, we just put out spotlight video of ASU's three commits in the 2017 class from Saguaro that is exclusive just to our site. And last week, we weren't just the home for ASU content. We were the home for Cal Hawaii content. Yeah. As, the, as that thread got something like three pages of hits, everyone was talking about that game. So it's really football fans coming together and talking about the game. And it's it's a great sight to see on the site right now. So let's continue with the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Moving to the defensive side of the ball, we'll talk about the defensive line to kick things off. Another group that really has the potential to be a strength for ASU. The front seven looks strong this year. Year. The Sun Devils have generated quite a bit of pressure, albeit sacrificed a lot on the back end as a result over the past few seasons. But the, the big question for ASU, last week we talked about Viliami Latu and Tayshawn Smallwood are the first team defensive tackles, however you look at it. Can the Sun Devils find a consistent third defensive tackle and maybe even a fourth defensive tackle to really complete the rotation that Todd Graham wants to run this season? So there's multiple ways they can accomplish this. I think George Lee is is probably ready to be able to be a number three guy. He's been in green, which is a non-contact designation in practice uh, the last week or so due to an undisclosed injury. Uh, but he can play nose or three technique. They can kind of move those guys around uh, because uh, Amila, too, is a nose. Smallwood's a three, but you can have one of those guys on the field along with George Lee. There's another possibility, something that we'll probably see uh, this week against NAU, and that's Rennell Wren be able to slide inside and play some three technique. He's uh, an end or a three technique. We've seen him play both. He's got to focus on pad level when he moves inside. And then there's a uh, dark horse candidate who is a walk-on, uh, Tremel Tops. He's a senior. He's uh, leaned out. He's in really great shape. He earned a scholarship this year, the only walk-on to do so. And he's a, a candidate to be able to play either of those spots, even though he's more of a nose uh, and he's a, a powerful guy who I think will probably uh, play some against NAU. And he's pushed past at least several scholarship defensive linemen. So the big question with this defensive line unit can it improve on its run-stopping capability from last season? Keep in mind, the Sun Devils were good against the run last year. Yeah, and the whole key thing here is that this uh, is a defense that run blitzes more on first and second down than anybody else. 
are you going to have to do that to stop the run is really a big part of the question. Are you going to have to bring that five and six man thing to try to jam up all those gaps and, and, and keep an offense from getting uh, loose on you? Uh, if you have a dominant front forward, you don't have to do that quite as much. That allows you to have a little bit more in coverage. You don't have to rely on solo tackles as much as ASU's had to. I think that they'll probably end up around the same uh, production-wise as last year in this regard, but the question is going to be whether they're going to have to sell out as much to do that. So let's move on to a position group that has become a conundrum for ASU over the past few seasons, ever since the departure of Carl Bradford when he left for the NFL draft. The devil backer position hasn't really been the same. ASU found a temporary stopgap last season in Antonio Longino, who led the Sun Devils in sacks. But this year, they've got kind of a deeper group and a group that mixes its talents well. Joseph Wicker, A.J. Latu, Malik Lawal, and Karan Crump are all potential options for the Sun Devils at the devil backer position. What do each of these guys bring to the table, and why are they so varied in their skill set for ASU? So Longino last year was a lighter guy, 225 pounds or so, and didn't get all league honors, first or second team, despite uh, having a really productive season. But a lot of uh, what you notice is a lot of that came where he was in unblocked situations. A lot of it was uh, in, 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 in on plays where he didn't have to really defeat a lot of blocks or, or whatever to get to those things. It was in uh, some of the ASU's easier competition where a lot of his stats came. That's common, right? But ASU hasn't had a full-service player here since Carl Bradford, a guy who can play from a three-point stance, a guy who can anchor into the boundary and also get after the quarterback. And I think that when you play JoJo Wicker there, you have a guy who can do those things. Now, he's going to bounce between devil and end, and we're going to talk about the reasons for that more in the premium podcast. But when you put him at devil, he's going to be able to be really effective. And then behind him, you have two different options. One is more of a base down against the run type of a player who can uh, hold his own and not get moved off the line of scrimmage and washed out. And that's AJ Latu, who we think has improved quite a bit in the last year or so with his fitness level and conditioning and his, his the way his body's put together. And then in Kron Crump, a guy who probably starts against NAU at that devil backer position because they'll have JoJo Wicker at the end. You have one of the most athletic, pure pass rushers on the roster. He's a lighter guy like a long Gino, maybe even more explosive, and he's going to be able to impact that uh, that backfield and make plays on the quarterback, but it's it's in much more of a pass uh, uh, rush type of a mold than a full service guy. Now, to give some perspective on Karan Crump and his speed off the edge, uh, the other day at Saturday's practice, he was working as a gunner on the punt team. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we looked at each other like, what? what is that? I don't know of any rush end in the country that is working as a gunner on punt. It's a sign of his athleticism and also uh, Todd Graham seeing things in a truly unique way. <laughs> Karan Crump, the picture of versatility. So let's move. If the running backs are the strength of the offense, then surely the inside linebackers are the strength of the, the, the defense sure. right now. They're the equivalent. You've got Salamo Fiso, Christian Sam, DJ Calhoun, all three players who can impact the game on a significant level. I would say that Salamo Fiso is the most ready to be an all-league type of a player. 
uh, for ASU this season. We've seen phenomenal production. Uh, Pro Football Focus ranked him as the top returning inside linebacker in the Pac-12 against the run. I think number two nationally uh, in that regard. Uh, he's worked to become a more well-rounded player. Uh, great uh, as an as a uh, gap filler, but is he going to be able to, on base downs, drop into zones and be able to make plays against the pass? Is he going to be able to handle a lot of the sideline to sideline stuff about te- uh, with spread teams that like to get it outside? Those are areas where, he, where they want to see some continued improvement, but this is a guy who actually has a chance to be an All-American if ASU has a great season. He'll probably key it. And then Christian Sam, who plays alongside of him, he may even be a better NFL prospect than Salam Fizo, just given the athletic range that he has for a 6'1", 240-pound guy. He's coming off of an arthroscopic surgery on his hip, so we have to see kind of how that uh, affects him from a mobility standpoint. They've wanted to work with him on having better pad level and certain elements of his game uh, from a physicality standpoint on a consistent basis. But man, those two guys are, 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 are really great. And then behind them, you have DJ Calhoun, who's basically another starter. Uh, he's proven as a nickel player to be one of ASU's best pass rushers, second on the team last year in sacks, and I think he's ready to show that he's a full-service type of a guy. You may see all three of them on the field together some this year in a different type of a look that we're going to talk about more also on the premium pod. Really, there's no question marks at the inside linebacker position for ASU, and then you look at the spur linebacker position, and it's all sorts of question marks for the Sun Devils. Over the past few weeks, we've seen Tyler Wiley, Marcus Ball rotate there. We saw Christian Sam playing a little bit of spur. It was the position vacated by Laiu Mokiola, senior defensive back now who's really playing in, in a safety role when he's healthy, but Mokiola has battled injuries once again during the preseason so where does ASU stand right now at the spur position? I think that's the best question when you're evaluating this group. I don't even think that they know totally, to be honest. And it's going to have to bear itself out early on in the season. You're going to see Tyler Wiley out there. He's more of a coverage spur. Um, was a, a cornerback, a little heavier probably better suited to be a, a nickel type of a role uh, on base down. So that's why he makes sense at the spur. Marcus Ball's like a hybrid safety linebacker type guy. You figure he's probably going to get his opportunity uh, after Lyle Mokiola being moved uh, to Bandit. Mokiola uh, might not even be ready to start the season anyways because he's got a hamstring issue that could keep him out of NAU. And they should obviously be careful with that uh, to start the season. But then, you'll, as we mentioned, you're probably going to see because of uh, two factors. One being the spur not being a strength. And then because you have in Fizo, Calhoun, and Sam really good linebackers um, tailored to specific opponents, you may see those guys on the field together in a different type of a look. When you look at the ASU defense as a whole, in the past, really the past two seasons, the devil backer has been the wild card position, where ASU's really not sure what it's going to get from those players. It varies on a week-by-week basis. This year, the spur seems to be that wild card, where ASU's got its six or seven guys in the box, and then maybe the spur joins the box, maybe the spur hangs back as a defensive back. It really depends on the personnel, the capabilities of the player playing that position. There's just so many different factors playing into the spur role. 
Absolutely. And um, we don't even know. We were surprised to see some of the things that they've tinkered with. You go back to the spring, they've tried so many guys there. They were dual training the Devils and Spurs. We saw Karan Crump and Malik Lawal and all these different guys. Uh, Gar- uh, Colton Gerhardt uh, has gotten opportunities there. It's like um, uh, Daz Tautalatasi was looked at as an option. And, and really what you see is when Todd Graham tends to throw a bunch of guys into positions, it's because it's a, a position of weakness and an uncertainty. They've done that in the past. Fans have seen that at Devil uh, last year after the Davon Durant uh, uh, issue where he wasn't on the team. Uh, they've seen that at cornerback. Hey, let's throw Tim White over there. Let's throw Deshavon Hayes over there and let's see what they can do. And now you're probably going to see that at the spur position. Speaking of uncertainties, let's move to the defensive backfield. ASU loses Quishy Brown, Lloyd Carrington, Jordan Simone. So who are the key personnel right now for ASU? Who are the most important players in the defensive backfield? There's two guys that we know that they're going to be able to rely upon, uh, and that's Kareem Moore and Armand Perry. Those guys uh, appear to be healthy. They're basically our returning starters. Kareem Moore going from the field side safety where he had six interceptions to lead the Pac-12 last year to corner. Armand Perry started his career as a nickelback or a corner. Now he's migrated to safety. Last year he got hurt in the second game of the season against Cal Poly with an ankle injury. And of course, Mokiola, if he's healthy, Healthy is also a reliable player. He probably knows ASU defense as well as anybody, along with Salam Ofizo and Tayshawn Smallwood. Uh, so is, is Mokiola going to be healthy? That's, number one, absolutely huge. And then what are they going to get in the fourth starter? And that's looking like it's going to be Deshavon Hayes as the field side cornerback. He's done really well, to be honest, in, in uh, the spring and even in the summer. The question becomes, how does he handle uh, zone coverages, communicating uh, uh, motions and shifts on the fly, and being able to do things in a total full, first full-service way with all of the different shells that they run in the ASU secondary. Now let's talk about the capabilities of some of the depth options for the Sun Devils. I think we can both agree that Robbie Robinson might be the best backup corner for ASU right now. Bryson Eccles, the grad transfer from Texas, also in the mix. We've even seen Chase Lucas rep with the second team at corner. Jamarcus Rose has played safety. And Kyle Williams, the freshman who played all of August as a wide receiver over the past three practices, moved back to the secondary. And by Todd Graham's accounts, he's played extremely well, but he's also had to play. And that's not a exactly a vote of confidence in the players who are on the field right now. Well, that's what, that's what we've been talking about uh, when I just said earlier about when Todd Graham feels uncertain about a position, he starts just moving guys and throwing guys around. Um, that's something that you see more on the high school level than you see at a high college or the NFL level is, hey, Kyle Williams, receiver for the first three weeks, hey, we, we might need you as a safety, and so go ahead and, and let's see if you can learn that position in a week. Well, there's it's it's daunting. That's a, that's a massive undertaking. Uh, he's a great athlete. May, athletically, sure, he can do it. Can you learn everything to be able to do that when you haven't even been practicing there at all and you have a week? I would say probably not. I think uh, Robbie Robinson at corner makes a lot of sense because – uh, maybe his long-term upside isn't as high because he's a he's a diminutive type of a guy at five foot eight. I think he's more ready from a physical standpoint. He's a, a thicker built kid for uh, his size, so he makes a lot of sense. I think he is your number three corner. Bryson Eccles is someone that is not as much of a full service player. He's a, a lighter, smaller guy. He's more of a coverage uh, type of a cornerback on that field side. 
And then Jamarcus Rhodes is someone who's intriguing because I think he may be among the most versatile of the defensive backs at six foot, six one, two hundred plus pounds. Uh, he he's a glider more than he is a, a quick reactive, quick twitch, uh, a redirecting type of a defensive back. But he's someone whose length uh, benefits him quite a bit on the field. I think he can cover down, uh, close down space. I think he can run with receivers. So I'm interested to see how he's going to do. But he's new and been forced to learn more multiple positions and not had enough time to really settle in uh, at this point. And Chad Adams is a guy we haven't even talked about. He may have to start for ASU if Lyle Mokiola can't play in the opener at that bandit position next to Armand Perry. And Chad Adams has frankly struggled uh, when put out there in situations like when Jordan Simone went down in Armand Perry and they needed uh, help late in the year last year. Their, their, their secondary got torched and he was one of the players that uh, that struggled and they're going to need improved play from him this year to be able to uh, do better in that regard. That's the offense. That's the defense. Now, before we move on to our season predictions, we should acknowledge that ASU has great capabilities this team this season from a special team standpoint. The Sun Devils should have two of the top kickers in the Pac-12 and punter Matt Hawk and place kicker Zane Gonzalez. Really, the only question here is whether ASU will have the best special teams unit in the Pac-12 in terms of kicking. I think the only thing that may stop that from happening is the long snapping position. You have Mitchell Ferboni is injured, not going to be able to be out there to start the season. I'm hearing it may be October uh, conservatively until he's back, uh, maybe even could take longer. They looked at a walk-on who was an undersized guy, and they, they decided that from a physical standpoint, he may not be able to hold up on some of the field goals. And so they're going with true freshman Cole Cabral, who has just a cannon getting the ball back, but he sprayed it around a little bit. And especially uh, there's some possibility of, of it being high. And for that punter, Matt Hawk, who is uh, the number one returning punter in the Pac-12 in punting average, I believe, uh, there's... Uh, a lot of uh, importance on getting that ball consistently located coming back. But in, in, in Matt Hawk and Zane Gonzalez, ASU has the only tandem of guys who are preseason watch list for the Groza and the Ray Guy Award. We've talked about that in the past. You have a really good kickoff returner in, in Tim White, and I think the punt return should be uh, solid. Kickoff coverage will be the number two thing to watch beyond the snapper, but I do think that ASU probably ends up with the best special teams in the league, and who would have said that about this program about three or four years ago? I don't think anyone, and I think that that says a lot about these two players, these two seniors. And Sean Slocum. And Zane Gonzalez, as well as Sean Slocum, who came to ASU after spending some time with the Green Bay Packers as a special teams coach. So let's talk about our season predictions three most likely records you could see ASU having this season, and then I'll ask you to pick one of those three records. So in a 12-game season, let's not talk about potential conference championship. Let's not talk about potential bowl games. ASU's 12 games. What are the three records that ASU could likely end up with? Well, I think that we both agree that if you were putting the over-under on this team, it probably would be 6.5. That's also not coincidentally what Vegas has it at right now, I believe. It started at 5, which was just too low. Everyone should have hammered that on the over. But I think the three most likely records right now today are 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, and then 5-7. and seven. Uh, I think... 
I am leaning toward six and six, but I, I think it's such such a close thing between that and seven and five that it's really hard. I think that six and six is what I'll go with eventually. My second most comfortable record would be seven and five, and then you look at it and could ASU go eight and four? Could ASU go five and seven? I'm much more likely to lean toward five and seven. I think that that's the definitive third record for me. Eight and four. If ASU could take that, just to stop it right now. Don't even play <laughs> the season. Eight and four would be a terrific accomplishment for this team, given its challenges in the secondary, a brand new quarterback, and one of the youngest offensive lines nationally. If ASU goes eight and four, this program is poised to have just a fantastic 27 season, for, 2017 season forecast. And even seven and five, I'm seven and four, seven and five. Pardon me. Even that result is a pretty respectable one, given the schedule and and where this uh, team is at from a youth standpoint. Now the Sun Devils do have a favorable schedule in the early going. They open up with NAU, then they host Texas Tech, off to Texas San Antonio, and their first conference game is against the Cal Golden Bears, who we had a chance to watch already in their contest against Hawaii. What are the key early season things you'll be watching for to help you build your overall forecast for this team as the season moves along? I think you want to see cohesiveness on offense, especially against NAU. Are they operating uh, in a very functional way? Are they playing to the tempo that they want to play to without sacrificing guys not being lined up properly, having procedural problems? Is Does Manny Wilkins look really comfortable out there in the pocket? I think, I think that matters. And then defensively, are those guys in the secondary able to be assignment sound? Are they uh, athletically being able to hold up? I mean, NAU has a pretty good uh, passing offense. We're going to talk about that. But this is an opportunity to see on a much less capable scale what ASU is going to be facing in subsequent weeks. I think those are some of the key early indicators of whether ASU uh, we'll have a good season. And uh, against Texas Tech, that's a uh, offense that could put a big number on the board against ASU's defense. We've already seen ASU struggle defending that air raid type of a scheme. Washington State's given ASU problems. Texas Tech did uh, in the in the, uh, the bowl game and the Holiday Bowl early on in, in Graham's tenure. Cal's given ASU some problems. So, so how does ASU hold up against that is also going to be a big factor. And then can ASU's offense put a big number on the board against Texas Tech in light of the the reality that that game may become a shootout. Yeah, I think Texas Tech's defense gave up something like three miles of offensive yardage last season. So that's... Uh, Is that a lot? Su- <laughs> you tell me. You tell me. But one of the things I'll be looking for, at least early in the season against more so against Texas Tech and Texas San Antonio because I think those are better indicators than NAU, is the types of throws ASU is asking Manny Wilkins to make and if he's completing those throws. Are they being much more conservative, going with replacement runs, really throwing almost exclusively to Tim White, Demario Richard, and Kalen Balazs? Or are these outside wide receivers getting more involved? Are they comfortable having him take more time in his dropbacks? Are they comfortable asking the offensive line to protect for a half second, do a second longer? Because I think that will be an overall indicator of what we can expect from ASU's offense this season. That's a great point. And uh, the accuracy and the ability to open up the offense in that regard would be 
a big key determining factor in their overall ability to be successful this season. So week one, Northern Arizona. The game is here. Chris, let's give a slight preview of this game. We haven't seen Northern Arizona on film this season, so we'll be able to go into much more depth during the regular season on this podcast on our pregame previews. But what do you expect Northern Arizona to bring to the table against ASU, and how can they challenge the Sun Devils? Well, they have a good passing attack, and you look at Emmanuel Butler, who's a 1,000-yard receiver last year, uh, still early in his career, uh, really liked him at Mountain Point High School, 6'4", 200-plus pounds. He's going to be a physical challenge for ASU. And then they have Elijah Marks, who's really emerging as another young receiver. He played at Desert Edge. Thought both of those guys were borderline Pac-12 players. I thought Emmanuel Butler should have ended up in the Pac-12. NAU got a steal there. Elijah Marks was uh, right on the fence. He definitely should have been able to get a better offers. And they have a they have a pretty dynamic passing attack. They have uh, in Cookus a guy who's mm-hmm. a good quarterback. So I, I, that's that's going to be very interesting. Um, and Taylor, they have a running back who is was a, a drop down from Washington. He's played receiver. He's almost like a DJ Foster type guy. This is. Um, the, the uh, brother of the uh, ASU's former uh, receiver, one of three brothers in the family. The youngest is going to Oregon State, uh, currently a player at, at Chandler who's out for the season. But I, I do think that their offense structurally and with their, uh, their, their athletic talent is going to provide a little bit of a test, enough for us to get an idea of what's going to happen the following week. It's pretty much the ideal preview for ASU before being thrown into the fire against a Texas Tech offense that we know will just throw the ball all over the field, will create all sorts of matchup issues, regardless of who they play against, and especially against a team that finished last in the FBS in passing yards allowed last season. Should we have, we have, we didn't even talk about this uh, before we recorded the show, but should we should we make a, a prediction on the game outcome? That, that was my next question for you. Oh, okay, you were thinking <laughs> along the same lines. You want me to go first? Yep, let's hear it. I'm going to say ASU wins 45 to... 24. All right. I said last week 48-28 ASU. Okay. So we're not that we're not that far apart. Uh what's the what's the spread in this game? I don't know if the spread's out yet, but I think we, it is. I think it's like three touchdowns. Yeah, we, we were talking earlier in this in the preseason. We think the spread should be around 25 or so. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's I think it's less than that. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but uh certainly if ASU doesn't win by at least three touchdowns, that's going to be a little bit of cause for concern moving forward. Remember, ASU was or NAU was picked to win its conference, which is a tough conference at the FCS level. Ranked 24th nationally, and uh, we're going to have a first look at, at, at that program on the site. But it's really been a resurgence that's been keyed by the local recruiting efforts that they've had. They've won at least seven games in each of the last five seasons or so. Prior to that, they hadn't done they hadn't done that in like seven years. The countdown is on to NAU for Arizona State. Will Sun Devil Stadium be ready? Will the Sun Devils be ready? Just some of the interesting questions that you'll hear a lot about this week. Remember, if all you know of us is our free podcast or some of the things we put out on social media, that's how you're hearing about the Sun Devil Source Report. Keep in mind, the overwhelming majority of our content is found at sundevilsource.com, and a large portion of which, including our premium podcast that we'll have out later this week, is deeper dive premium analysis. Chris, in the last week alone, what have we got up on the site? It was crazy. We had 35 or so pieces of content in the last week. 
You're going to get a daily premium practice report that goes above and beyond because there's an analysis component to that. Uh, we have uh, player capsules on every single player. This is basically an analysis of what you can expect from each guy that you're going to see on the field this year. We have position preparedness grades. We'll tell you um, what are the strongest positions and why, where is their depth, where is there a lot of potential because there's a potential grade that comes as a component of that also. There's the recruiting big board, which is one location that has every single recruit. We put up an update on five-star offensive tackle Austin Jackson, who we saw in person. We're going to have individual ISO clips of Austin Jackson, and we put up individual ISO film of the three Saguaro commits at ASU, all exclusive to the site. Uh, we're putting out more content than really we ever have, Kerry, and that's going to continue through the season. There you have it. So much football to look forward to. So much content to look forward to on SunDevilSource.com. Chris, this is the only week that I'll ever be happy with a 745 kickoff because it means I get to start my day <laughs> watching Oklahoma-Houston, cap it off in the afternoon, watching USC-Alabama. Looking forward to a great first week. It's a 12 a.m. over-under on the first press conference <laughs> after a game of the season. But we are going to power through and make sure you stay locked on the site for all the post-game uh, coverage because there will be a lot of it. That's it for the Sun Devil Source Report podcast, NAU Week. For publisher Chris Cartman, I'm editor and host Kerry Crowley. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>